Uh, look with me and give careful attention to one verse that Zach just read. Zach just read Daniel 6, verses 1 through 13. Notice very carefully verse 10. Verse 10 says this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I want to speak to you this morning uh, about the subject, the topic of prayer. I want to speak to you about prayer, and really, although we want to make sure to look at it in context, I want to speak to you about one verse, and that's the verse that we just read again. It's verse 10. One verse today, friends, verse 10, and one theme or one topic, and that is prayer. Now, Lord willing, we will look at the story of Daniel 6 next week. But today, this one verse, in the context of the story, no doubt. What does Daniel teach us this morning? What can we learn from the example of Daniel as believers today? Perhaps you are here this morning not a follower of Christ. We're glad that you're here. What can we learn as believers and as those who are not followers of Christ from the example of Daniel in prayer? Before we even begin with the, with the points that I have this morning from this passage from verse 10, let me just briefly share with you three passages of Scripture as we're thinking about prayer. Very quickly, three passages of Scripture Two of them, the first two are from the Psalms. Here's one. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. That's Psalm 55, 17. Or how about this one? Maybe you've heard this one. Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then Pastor Ray led us in the Lord's Prayer. Hear these words from Matthew 6. Jesus said in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, And when you pray, notice he did not say to his disciples, If you pray, he's speaking to his disciples. He said, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's think about verse 10 this morning. Let's think about prayer. First of all, notice point number one. First of all, notice the posture of prayer. 
Notice the posture of prayer. Now look at this verse again. If this is our key verse, then we do well to make sure that we think about it. We're thinking about, number one, the posture of prayer. It says there in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, what does it say? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Number one, the posture of prayer, uh, he prayed on his knees. He prayed on his knees. Now, I want to take something uh, that's uh, not directly from the Bible. A poem that maybe, maybe you've heard. I doubt many of you have heard it. And I want to prove to you that prayer must be on your knees. I have no idea why you're laughing. Here's a poem. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keys, and the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped in upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Slow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year, I fell in Hodgkin's well, head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up, my head a-pointing down. And I made a prayer right then and there, best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a-standing on my head. The poem is entitled, The Prayer of Cyrus Brown, and as he concludes with all of the great reverend doctors and the elders, he says he fell in the well. He said he never prayed a better prayer than as he was in that well on his head. Well, of course, the poem makes the point that the scripture would also make. That when we pray, remember Jesus didn't say to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he didn't say, if you pray or, or if you give or if you fast. In Matthew chapter 6, said, Jesus said, when you give alms, when you fast, when you pray, when you pray, and he doesn't uh, demand, the scripture doesn't demand that we pray in a particular posture. But we do notice here, do we not? Look at it again in verse 10. Look at the Bible. Look at the middle of verse 10. What does it say about Daniel? It says again, it says he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. The posture of prayer. At the very least, for now, we can say that Daniel prayed on his knees. And we will come back to that. Let me pause just for a moment before I get to point number two. Point number two, we're going to talk about his, uh, his holy defiance. But before we do that, before we think about his attitude of holy defiance, let's just pause because one of the things that we aim to do here 
uh, as Crossway Church of Goldsboro is, is something called uh, expository preaching, which uh, you could just summarize as the preacher shouldn't put his ideas and force the Bible to, to help his idea, but rather we should let the Bible, we should let the text speak. And so what the preacher says should be what the Bible says. And so just for a, just for a brief minute or two, uh, just so that we're careful, because we're only looking at one verse in particular, and we are looking at a theme, which is prayer, we want to make sure we get this in context. And I would submit to you that what we're doing is just listening and receiving what verse 10 says to us. So just, just look at verse 11. Let's just get the context. Look again there at Daniel 6, 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, if you're following along there, it's so, it's so juvenile, like what kids would do at school or siblings would do to their parents. Didn't, didn't you say this? Well, Daniel, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Let's just be clear uh, about what Daniel 6 is about. Daniel 6 is about God. Daniel 6 is about God's deliverance of his people. Daniel 6 is famous because it's Daniel in the lion's den, or we could say Daniel in the angel's den. Daniel is about God's deliverance of his people. And then secondarily, it's about the faithfulness of God's people, the devotion of God's people. And so we might be tempted to think that the greatest miracle in Daniel chapter 6 is God's rescue of Daniel from the lion's den. One man has said in what Zach read to us earlier that the first miracle in Daniel 6 is you have a politician who is not corrupt in any way. So just so that we know the story, just so that we're not taking verse 10 only in isolation, of course, what's happening here is you have Daniel's colleagues in the government who hate him. Daniel's colleagues in leadership hate him. They are jealous of him. And so they hatch this plan in many ways, unbeknownst to the king, to King Darius, they hatch this plan to trap him. Because doesn't this speak well of Daniel? They know, they know that Daniel will continue to be faithful to his God. Do do people know that of us? They just know that Daniel will not fail by by God's grace, of course. They know that Daniel will not fail in being faithful to his God. So they say, if we trap him in relation to the law of his God, we've got him. And so they hatch this plan. What's the plan? To forbid prayer to forbid prayer to anyone except to or through the king. And that brings us to verse 10. And that brings us to point number two. 
Friends, hear the word of God this morning. My brothers and sisters, my fellow Christians of Crossway Church, hear these lessons about prayer. His attitude was one, his attitude was one of holy defiance. His praying, would you not agree with me in verse 10, his praying was a bit defiant. I do not use that word in a negative way. That's why I said we see here holy defiance. Uh, good type of defiance. Look at it again. When Daniel, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and three times a day he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Well, Daniel's a man of action here, isn't he? Isn't he a man of action? What does it say there after the first phrase of verse 10? After the first phrase, it says, he went to his house where he had windows, and then he got down on his knees, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God. But when did he do that? When did he do that? He did that, notice this, when he knew that the document had been signed. Do you see the connection? Do you see why I'm saying point number two, his praying was a bit defiant? He did this knowing what the authorities had said, right? He did this knowing what the edict, the edict of the king was. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where, now I am not saying, I am not saying that, that his actions that we read about in verse 10 are simply to stick it to the man. That's not, that's not exactly what I'm saying. That he did these things just to, just to stick it to the man. Nevertheless, do you see again this, this bit of defiance, what we might call holy defiance? There is no doubt. There is no doubt that the scripture itself plainly teaches that God has instituted the human earthly governments for our good. The scripture plainly teaches that human earthly governments he has instituted for our good. We are called to submit to rulers and authorities. There is also no doubt that there is a limit to such sub submission. Some of you have heard of, of course, James Coates. You know that name, Canadian? If you do, uh, let me remind you of the facts. James Coates, Pastor Coates, along with Grace Life Church Edmonton, holds the religious conviction that the whole congregation must meet together during one service. For that reason, he could not in good conscience follow the emergency health orders authorized by the Alberta Health Act, which restricted building occupancy to 15% of a building's fire code capacity. In the light of this stance, Alberta Health Services asked the courts to enforce their health orders against Grace Life Church Edmonton. The courts agreed to do so. The police then charged James Coates with infractions on February 7th and 14th. Grace Life Edmonton gathered more than 15% of the total operational, operational occupant load 
according to the current fire code regulations in Alberta. Pastor James Coates also received a criminal charge for failing to comply with an undertaking, undertaking given to him on February the 7th. An undertaking signifies a promise to the courts to follow certain rules to avoid jail time. Well, that is just one example, Pastor James Coates in Canada, of a man who, in many ways, it seems that the Canadian authorities took it too far in, in persecution of Pastor James Coates. I do not say that it is exactly the same thing. I do not say that, but I do say that it is similar. As we see here, Daniel, again, again in verse 10, Daniel knew that the document had been signed. You know, Kent Hughes has a book called uh, Spiritual Disciplines of a Godly Man. And you can find Don Whitney's modern classic book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. This is not one of my main points here, but it is a point, is it not, in verse 10, that Daniel, who by this time is in his 80s, by this time Daniel's in his 80s, he had been a man of spiritual discipline for so long that some people have said the greatest miracle in Daniel chapter 6 is not that the lions didn't eat him. The greatest miracle, the crux of the matter happened right here. The heart of the matter happened right here when Daniel goes on praying, knowing the injunction. When he goes on worshiping the Lord, when he goes on in private devotion, which in some ways is not so private, when he goes on with his spiritual discipline, which he had been doing for years, for decades upon decades. Daniel was not going to stop now. And so we see here that his praying was a bit defiant in a good way, a holy defiance. But then third, what about the content of his prayer? What about the content of his prayer? Well, does it tell us? What does the scripture say? Does the scripture here before us this morning say anything about the content of his prayer? Look at it again. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Well, if we're thinking about the content of Daniel's prayer, the answer would be that Scripture doesn't actually tell us a lot. It does tell us there in verse 11 that he was making petition and plea before his God. It does tell us that near the end of verse 10 that he prayed and what? He gave thanks before his God. Friends, this was his pattern. This is Thanksgiving weekend, post-Thanksgiving weekend. Let us give thanks. Let us see the scriptures. Let us see how seriously God takes this issue of giving thanks. Let us see how regularly Daniel prayed. Three times a day. Remember that scripture I shared with you earlier, Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. 
and what accompany Daniel's prayers on a regular basis? Confession and thanksgiving. That's one part of the content of his prayer. Well, it doesn't tell us a lot, but flip over to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and then after this, I'm going to have you turn to one more place in the Old Testament. We're thinking about the content of his prayer. Now, I think we can uh, rightly assume that what he prays here in verse 9 was uh, representative, was a, was a good sample, was a good example of what he regularly prayed. And many weeks ago, Pastor Ray had us look at this in the prayer time. Look at Daniel 9.3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, Aren't you thankful that there, that there are prayers in the Bible? Daniel 9, 4. What did he pray? O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. Let me just stop really quickly. I suppose there's nothing wrong at the end of the day with praying for Aunt Bertha's toe fungus. At the end of the day, there's nothing too small. The scripture plainly says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. There is nothing too small. But at the same time, when we do look at the prayers of the Bible, when we look at the prayers of the Apostle Paul, when we look at the Psalms, when we look at the prayers of Daniel, when we look at the prayers of the saints in the Old Testament and indeed of all of Scripture, we find examples for us to help us that our prayers would be bigger, that our prayers would be beyond ourselves, that we would not only pray for what we need and that we would be more careful not only to pray for health and comfort because God's goal for our lives is not only health and comfort, but when we look at the prayers of the Bible, we see big prayers, prayers for the glory of God, prayers for the kingdom of God. Look again at verse 7 of Daniel chapter 9. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, do you notice the back and forth? To us, but to you. To you, but to us, verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And you could just... 
you could just read on. We see here a, a clear example, I think, of the content of Daniel's prayer. Which is, again, to say that Daniel wasn't necessarily, I know, being humorous, but Daniel wasn't necessarily praying for his aunt's dog's nephew, right? And not only was Daniel not necessarily praying for his aunt's dog's nephew, Daniel very well may have prayed as he got down on his knees, Lord, help me, as I know that I may very well be thrown into the lion's den. But it seems as we compare Scripture with Scripture that perhaps that wasn't even Daniel's main prayer. That even though he may very well have prayed for himself and for the impending judgment that he was about to face, it also seems that he was not only praying for himself, but for others. He was praying for the people of God. And listen, he was praying for the people of God. He was praying big prayers for them. Big prayers for the people of God. One thing that we haven't mentioned as I invite you to turn to 1 Kings 8. This is so, so helpful. 1 Kings chapter 8. As you turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, and I've told you I won't ask you to turn beyond that. Except maybe if you kept your place in Daniel 6. I wonder, have you given any thought to our key verse when it said he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem? What's that all about? He had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Well, that's just, no, that's, that's not for us today. I mean, that's, that's, I'm sure it was important, but it's kind of incidental. I mean, the main thing we need to learn from verse 10 is that we need to do better and we need to pray. That's not what I'm trying to say this morning. My message is not do better. Work harder at prayer. That's not my message. It's not the message of Daniel. The message of Daniel is that there is a God to whom we can pray. There is a God to whom we can cry out. There is a God to whom we have the privilege of going in prayer every single day, rain or shine, good times or bad times life-threatening tragedy or sunny days, there is a God in heaven, and he hears the prayers of his people. He hears the prayers of his people through Jesus Christ. Have you thought at all about the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem? 1 Kings chapter 8. Please notice this. This is good. Did you know? I didn't know until I studied this. I did not know this at all. It's been said that 1 Kings chapter 8 is the foundation for all of Old Testament piety. You know what piety is? Piety is godliness. Piety is like worship. Piety is devotion. And 1 Kings chapter 8 is the foundation for all of Old Testament worship and devotion and spiritual discipline. Look at what it says in verse 46. This is why Daniel was doing, this is, this explains Daniel 6.10. This explains Daniel 6.10. 1 Kings 8.46. This is Solomon praying to God at the dedication of the temple. 1 Kings 8.46. 
Oh God, he says, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them. As you know, it's true. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. God is angry with the wicked every day. And give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy. Well, this is exactly what's happened in the book of Daniel. Israel's in exile. Far off or near. Yet, if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent, 1 Kings 8, 48, with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them for they are your people. This is prayer. This is what prayer is. It's pleading with God based on the promises of God. You take the word of God back to the God of the word and you plead with God based on the promises of God. Verse 51, they are your people and your heritage which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. That's it. 1 Kings 8, 46 through 51 explains Daniel 6.10. It explains why his window was open toward Jerusalem, toward the temple. To be sure... The temple at this time had been overrun. The land was being left desolate because of the sin of God's people. But here in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon prays at the dedication of the temple, and he looks forward to a time sometime in the future. Well, it just so happens to be what Daniel and his friends are experiencing. Oh, God. Look again at verse 46. If they, who's they, verse 44, your people. Back to verse 46. If your people sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And if you are angry, parentheses, and if you are holy and righteous in your anger, and if you send them away from your land and from your house and from your temple, and if they go to a foreign land and are led by wicked pagans, then, oh God, would you have mercy on them? Do you see? Would you have mercy on them if they repent? If they turn and if they face this direction, it matters. Verse 52. Oh, Lord, let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people, Israel, giving them, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses, your servant, when you brought our fathers out of Egypt. Oh, Lord God, verse 53 basically says, God, you chose them and you redeemed them. And in Jesus Christ, in the new covenant, the same things are true. Believers in Jesus Christ are chosen and redeemed, not through the Old Testament Exodus, but through the New Testament Exodus, 
through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Oh God, these are your chosen people. Will you not hear? This passage explains Daniel 6.10. The posture of prayer he prayed on his knees. His attitude of prayer was one of holy defiance. The content of his prayer was one of thanksgiving. The content of his prayer was big prayers, not, not only for his aunt's dog's nephew, but for the people of God and big things for the people of God. God, you are God. We are sinners. Have mercy on us. Now let me ask the question, so what? Let me ask the question, so what? Let me give you a few quick things. And let me first of all remind you of the main point of Daniel chapter 6 so we don't miss the main point of Daniel chapter 6. This is not original with me. The main point of Daniel chapter 6 is the main point of the book of Daniel. In spite of present troubles, God is in control and he will win the victory. In spite of present troubles, God is in control and he will win the victory. That's the main point of the book and of chapter 6. So what this morning? Stay with me for a few minutes. So what? Crossway. What is the church in America going to do? What are we going to do, Crossway Church of Goldsboro, if, if the authorities placed over us would say sometime in the future, well, from this time forward, you are not able to publicly congregate for worship. We don't know when that's going to expire. It's going to be for an indefinite amount of time. What are we going to do? What's the church in America going to do if that would happen? Not to harp on that too much as though it's an imminent thing. I don't think it's an imminent thing. But the law becomes very clear. No holes, no wiggle room. You cannot gather for public worship for the foreseeable future. Of course, we say the church in America because we're reminded this morning that even as Daniel was persecuted for his faith, that is the condition of our believers around the world, of our brothers and sisters, right? Well, I would say that our default would be, that our default would be to gather for public worship. That our default would be to gather for public worship. Let us defy tyrants, but let us not be defiant for for defiance sake alone. Let us not be defiant merely to be defiant. No. But that being said, there is a clear limit to our rightful allegiance to government, governmental authorities. There is a clear limit to our rightful allegiance to governmental authorities. Second, let us pray on our knees. Let us pray on our knees. Let us physically and in every way acknowledge that he is God and we are not. He is the Lord. You know, when you do something with your body, it's not always, but there is a correlation, right? It helps the mind and the heart. And so even though we want to say on one hand that the Bible does not prescribe a certain posture for prayer, there is no, this is the posture of prayer in the Bible, even though we, don't, we also don't want to go strictly to the other end of the thing, and we want to say, let us 
let us pray on our knees. Let us physically and in every way acknowledge that he is God. We are not. He is the Lord. Let us, oh, let us give thanks in prayer. This was Daniel's custom. 80 years old. He, he, just, he just wasn't going to stop now. He's, he, he didn't do it just to say, let me just spite, let me just spite these people. No, no, no. He, there was a holy defiance, but there were decades of spiritual discipline. Don't despise the word discipline. Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. Let us give thanks in prayer regularly. Let us learn to pray big prayers. Let us learn to pray. I mean, you say, okay, well, help me with that. The Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. God, wean me off of my small, it's all about me. It's all about my world. And finally, let us look to Jesus who prayed for us, his people, even on the eve of his crucifixion. Let us look to Jesus who prayed for us, his people, even on the eve of his crucifixion, John 17. John 17, you don't have to turn there. I think it might be on the screen as we close. Jesus died for everyone who will ever repent and believe. You need to hear that this morning. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for everyone who will ever repent and believe. And so you and I need to repent and believe in the gospel. He alone died bearing the wrath of God for all of God's people, the world, and he rose from the dead. He alone. Jesus died on the cross bearing the wrath of God for everyone who will repent and believe. And before he went to the cross, he prayed for us. He prayed for us as believers. Aaron, do we have this? John 17, verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus has a generous assessment of us. John 17, 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am praying for their comfort. I am praying for their health. God is not mainly concerned with our comfort and with our health. Jesus prays big prayers for his people in John 17. I am not praying for the world. No, he prayed for his elect but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. John 17, middle of verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Jesus prayed for his chosen people. And then he went to the cross to die for us. And now, now what? Well, now he intercedes for us. And on that basis, let us pray.
Lord, help us. Even as Peter said in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles, we must obey God rather than men. Help us not to have a spirit that is overly quick when we think it's right to obey God rather than men. Guard us from that, Lord. But nevertheless, help us like Daniel and like the apostles to say, we must obey God rather than men. Thank you that there is no power in prayer, but thank you that there is much power in the God to whom we pray. Lord, help us to grasp that you, the God to whom we pray, are a God of infinite resources through Jesus Christ. We thank you for his prayer for us. and We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.